Hey dudes, this is The Big Game. I'm your host, Justin Hargett. Cleveland's misery reigns supreme. LeBron has still been unable to save the mistake by the lake. And a new force has arisen in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, as they took the NBA championship on Tuesday night in Cleveland. Today on the show, Blake Mallon, co-founder of the website Worn and Wound, returns to talk about a Cleveland team that looked very different from the one that we talked about back on Christmas Day when they played the Miami Heat, and a Golden State Warriors team that thrilled the NBA all season long and took home a very deserved championship trophy. We get into our rooting allegiances on the show, but there's something really satisfying to me about this Warriors win. And I know it's going to make me sound like some old man sports reporter, but it was really awesome to see a team that had as deep of a bench as the Warriors did to be able to find a way to adjust their game on the fly, mixing and matching different players, using different styles of offense, and putting their egos aside to really dismantle a Cavaliers team at the end of the series. It's basically team basketball at its most San Antonio Spursian. The NBA has been so much fun this season to watch, and it's a shame that it's now over and we won't be able to see it again until the fall. But please relive the end with us here as we talk about an amazing NBA Finals. Hey, Blake. Welcome back to The Big Game. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, this is interesting. You came on to uh, the first episode of the Big Game podcast, and we talked about the Cleveland Cavaliers. And now, nearly six months later, we're talking about them again, this time in a losing effort against Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. The Cavs are a completely different team than we were when we talked about them at first. So I want to I do our due diligence and, and kind of talk about Cleveland a little bit more in this podcast than I usually do for the losing team. But let's start with game six. What did you think of this uh, incredible closeout victory by the Warriors? Yeah, I mean, I think Golden State, especially with the Cavs and all their injuries, were so, at least in my mind, I think most people were saying this, that they were just so heavily favored. And I think people were really surprised or sort of in awe of the Cavaliers' ability to uh, beat them those two games in a row and stick around in so many of the other games. And so much credit was paid to, you know, the fact that LeBron is, like, basically the best basketball player on the planet Earth, that seeing them play this way was just almost a return to form. And I personally got to watch the Golden State Warriors more in the playoffs than I did at all during the regular season. Yeah. Um, and... I'd imagine that if you had been watching them consistently throughout the whole year, since they did have such an epically good regular season, that this probably did just seem like a return to the Warriors team that you've been watching all year. Um, so maybe there was something kind of anticlimactic about that. I don't know. But um, it seemed like a foregone conclusion going into the series, and then it got interesting for a while. But I think that's kind of where it ended up. Yeah, it'd, it'd probably be good to talk about the series a little bit um, as a whole, because... You know, it, it was a shock those first three games. You know, the first two go to overtime, and then Cleveland wins game three uh, to take a two-to-one series lead. And it was pretty shocking because, you know, like you, I haven't watched the Golden State much until I got to the playoffs and they were on TV all of the time. Um, but I just kind of expected them to completely wipe the floor with the Cavs. And, and like you are saying, minus Kyrie Irving, minus Kevin Love, it's pretty remarkable that Cleveland 
was able to stay in it as long as they did in this series. But it, you, like you said, it's probably a testament to Golden State's just ability to adapt that I think is probably something maybe we missed throughout the season. But they're able to win 79 games because they had basically like two starting fives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think um, there was, I was reading some blogs today, and I feel like there was a headline posted somewhere. I wish I could remember where. Like buried below many other NBA sort of hotter headlines that basically point out that the Warriors had one of the best like defense efficiency ratings of any team in the finals in a really long time. Like it was some ridiculous stat that sort of I think was totally overlooked. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like they were playing you know at a high level in a certain way that I don't know if they necessarily got credit for. I suppose, um, but yeah, I mean I think it was. I feel like you know there's a big conversation about whether or not sort of like LeBron's fourth finals loss is going to stand against his, 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 um, his legacy much, you know, and I think there's a whole conversation there, but, um, just the sheer power of his, like the, the, his ability to carry a team with so such little talent, you know, this far in the finals and challenge a team that is so talented, like the Golden State Warriors, it was kind it was just kind of bizarre to watch. Like I, I I've never, I don't think seen a player, sort of be as dominant independently like I have ever seen LeBron in this series, you know? I think LeBron must be one of the most unluckiest basketball players to ever play in the NBA. The fact that he almost single-handedly can win a championship for a team and yet is surrounded as is either surrounded by players too inept to assist him to win that with just the little marginal bit that they need to contribute to the game or you know, the star players on his team go down injured. Or, you know, if Dwayne Wade had been at, you know, peak health the last uh, two seasons or, or, you know, the two seasons where they lost, um, Miami lost to Dallas and to San Antonio to lose the championships, Mm -hmm. you know, I think LeBron just, he keeps getting a short shrift when it comes to kind of basketball god luck. Because otherwise, I mean, he's, it's incredible that he's able to single-handedly do this. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, I was thinking a lot about it during the finals, and it's like, you know, in Miami, there was, like, the challenge of them sort of blending together at first, and you have all these superstars who have to take a back seat to LeBron. You know, Chris Bosh obviously very gracefully kind of proceeded into a certain role, and, and D. Wade, I think, at first they kind of clashed, and then they decided, okay, this is LeBron's team. He's going to sort of take the lead. Um, and there's that clash. Uh, 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 but clearly he has the ability to handle like to play at a really high level and bring a team to a really high level where they don't have those other superstars. And I think it's almost like, I would almost like to see LeBron on, a, on this version of the Cavs, but like with a slightly updated group of people yeah. around him. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, then it's, absolutely. it's completely unambiguous as to whose team it is and who's going to be the leader, but he's got enough around him. You know, like, would it have been enough to have a Ray Allen type three-point shooter on the Cavs during the series? Would that have put them over the... Over I think the absolutely, because, because otherwise... For the last three games, they've looked like the Knicks with Carmelo Anthony when they're actually doing well, which is exactly. which is a very predictable offense that a talented team with so much depth like Golden State could just figure out. And that was so. What was so impressive to me is that going down two one. You know, I read this in an article today. It was actually the video guy on Golden State that Steve Kerr brought from Phoenix that gave him the idea to start Andre Iguodala. Um, in game four of the series and go small go that small lineup but then mm-hmm. you, you see them in games too in last night's game they would switch from you know a pretty standard big lineup 
back to a small, and they were just they were always able to counter whatever the Cavs were doing. When the Cavs would go big, they would go small, or if they needed a body in there to get some rebounds, because Cleveland really killed them on the boards last night with Mozgov and Tristan Thompson. But yeah. Golden State had just enough of the right players to put in at the right time to kind of mm-hmm. make sure that it never was really much of a threat. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, yeah, I think depth had so much to do with it. it, it you know, even the you know, skill set aside, like you were saying, I think depth had so much to do with it. You just wonder, like, even if Anderson Verja were healthy and you had a little bit more depth at the center position or, you know, just a few more role players who were doing more than Shumpert and J.R. Smith. I mean, it, just the fact that so much relied on those two guys alone is just kind of amazing. Well, J.R. Smith can't be the second option, and that's that's what was proven in New York, is that if J.R. Yeah. Smith is your second scoring option, you're totally fucked. Uh-huh. And that's what happened as soon as Kyrie went down, and it's unfortunate for LeBron and for, you know, the fans of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but that system just won't work it got them pretty far and it's amazing that they got them as far as they did but it's just not going to work yeah for sure um for sure. let's talk about andre Iguodala. did you agree that this was mvp performance in this series it seems like it was i feel like he answered the call and gave them exactly what they needed you know yeah um i think i, I was surprised you know right before they called it i was saying i was so surprised yeah no for sure i was like I think he should win it, but I, I was I'm, I'm betting Steph Curry. They're going to give it to Steph Curry. Why would they do this? But I, I love that they gave it to Andre Iguodala, and I love that it came back-to-back back with Kawhi Leonard winning the finals MVP. And I kind of hope that this becomes like a trend mm-hmm. of it opening the door for like, I don't want to call them role players, but you know, almost role players, like coming in and winning finals MVPs or being in the running for these types of things. Because at least me personally, like I didn't really feel like guys like this were usually in the running to win these things. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, I know Kawhi and, and you know, uh, Iguodala are, are sort of different cases, but I like the idea of it being a little bit more of a, of a question as to who's going to win rather than just like, of course it's LeBron or of course it's Michael Jordan or whoever, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's really uh, giving the MVP to Andre Iguodala was, is really a, a tribute to the front office of Golden State to be able to take a guy that was a starter and a star, all-star player for so long in Philadelphia and ask him to come contribute at a reduced rate and you know they held him out for large portions of the season you know he didn't start a game until he got to the playoffs Um, and it's just really impressive that for both Golden State's front office and for Steve Kerr to take you know uh, when I think there are issues when you have a team that is so deep as Golden State you've got resentment builds amongst players I mean David Lee is the most expensive player on this team and you know he played such a reduced role throughout the entire season Um, but I, I, th- I thought it was really awesome that they gave it to Iguodala um, because it was really just kind of like a tribute to what Golden State has been able to kind of build in this age where it's so difficult to kind of keep and sign stars. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. And I think also, you know, the fact that David Lee sat dormant, you know, and then came in and did what he needed to do, you know, just a little bit of extra finishing around the rim. Yeah, he looked good um, when he came in. I'm, I, was, I was glad to see him out there as uh, a little Nick totally. Totally. And, you know, and then, you know, even um, so, you know, even with Andrew Bogut, you know, sitting down, you know, obviously, I'm sure he had certain feelings about that. But, you know, that's just what they needed at the time. And I think I'm sure they all understand. It's just all about matchups and about who's got it going at the at the given moment. That's just the way it goes, you know. Yeah. And, and if you kind of if you talk to the team, you know, honestly and openly, you know, it's a really long season and guys don't need to start every night or, you know, different matchups yeah. make sense when you're when you're playing uh you know cleveland or if you're playing a team like the spurs or then you're then you're playing a team like um 
the Atlanta Hawks where the styles can vary so differently from one night to another and you've got such a quality bench that you can mix and match to maximize your chances to win um, and, and you know at the same time I want to give credit to Cleveland too because when we did the podcast back on Christmas they did not have Timothy Mozgov and Anders and Baruchel <laughs> had just gone out and I think I don't know why David Blatt didn't play him in game five that doesn't make any sense to me since he was having such a great series mm-hmm. overall um but i think it was really a revelation that he was able to come i mean i i'm gonna take credit for this i saw this in the you know the handful of games that he played for the knicks before they traded him to denver and mm-hmm. and i think it's really awesome that cleveland was able to kind of i know they gave away like two first round picks for it but this team will be so much better next year once they get healthy and yeah i mean i I was just going to say, I feel like they found a couple really nice jewels in the series of guys that they can maybe rely on more than they were before, more than they necessarily thought they would in Moskov and Delavadova. Uh, but yeah, no, Moskov played like out of his mind in the series. Delavadova looked see. dead last night. They cut to him on the bench and he had like, his, yeah. his eyes were discolored, his skin was discolored under his eyes and he just looked... I don't think he played more than 20 minutes or something like that, but that guy was totally run down. Yeah, it must be really tough to go from being such a small role to being such a huge role and having to keep up with a team like Golden State. I mean, it's almost not fair, you know. Um, you can't do that for, for a whole series. I mean, I, I imagine a lot of role players who get almost so few minutes like him, like, just step in and do that would be really difficult. Well, and the Cavs only played seven players last night. I mean, yeah. That's, in, that's insane. That's, like, half your team that you could potentially yeah. play. That's ridiculous. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the refereeing in this game. I know you have some strong opinions about it, but I, I said to you off the podcast that I could barely watch Game Five because the calls just seemed so atrocious. And mm-hmm. in the, I'll, I'll let you kind of comment on this, but it just, it's incredible to me that in this day and age, when you were saying uh, the NBA cares so much about getting the call right, that they're just blatantly not getting calls right all night mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. yeah and it and you know it's really frustrating to see the league also and i'm sure this is like this in other sports leagues i'm just not as big of a fan of anything else but like they're, they're taking these baby steps towards you know using technology and using systems better but it's like they're afraid to go all the way or they're afraid to use it in certain ways and i understand that it will slow the pace of the game down but you know they seem to let the hack shack system play out and you know all that kind of stuff but at any rate i, I you know it just seems like you know, if we were saying this before, like if you have the ability to have the review center in Secaucus and use it the way that you do, and everybody on TV can see certain calls, like you know the Steph Curry, you know backward violation last night, like why don't we have extra eyes on the game from a remote location that can make calls? I don't, I just don't see why that's such a ridiculous idea. Yeah, uh, and it shouldn't like, be like the NFL where it takes you know five minutes for a play to get reviewed. It should, it should really be the I think the head referee have. Uh, you know, a piece in his ear radioing to him because, you know, we see these things almost instantly and the guy in Secaucus can see it instantly too. And he just needs to have the power to override the head referee and say, actually, that was a backcourt violation. Switch it back. Mm -hmm. Or, or, or actually LeBron, you know, punched Draymond Green in the face. So you should call a foul there. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's a certain element of them, uh, you know, 
refs get to use calls to make up things or sort of address sort of you know when they there was some play earlier in this in the in the series when it was a really bizarre play where like Della Vadova and another player were kind of crunched up on the sideline and like it went off of somebody didn't go off of somebody somebody fouled somebody else and like they just came up with some shit that like had nothing to do with what actually happened and it was clear that they just used their leverage to you know make some shit up yeah and I think that you know again it's like I was saying this to you before nothing infuriates me more missed calls are one thing but it's the it's the makeup calls that just drive me nuts and I think there is an element of the NBA and the refs wanting to hold on to that tool in their toolbox to be able to have makeup calls and sort of, yeah. you know. I mean, at the bare minimum, if you want to just set subjective stuff aside, there should at least be a guy saying who the ball went out on at all times. If totally. there's, I know that players call all of the time to say, oh, it wasn't out on me, it wasn't out on me. But there should be a system to just make this better. Because there was a play, I think, in the third or fourth quarter where the ball, where, and this was like at a pivotal moment where kind of momentum was swinging back and forth between the two teams, and the ball uh, clearly goes off of Shumpert's shoulder, mm-hmm. but the ref called it the other way. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, it's, I understand it's not that important, and maybe they'll make up the call and it'll go the other way, but can't we just maybe eliminate the error? Like, you know, yeah. we could see this maybe 10 seconds later on a replay you know, it shouldn't affect the game that much and they should be able to implement it pretty quickly and pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, you mentioned earlier a little bit about LeBron and his fourth finals defeat. Do you think this will affect his legacy? I don't think so. I think that... um, I think the media will use what happened here to write a really exciting and sort of salacious narrative for next year when they'll inevitably get to the finals. Um, And... uh, you know, I think that'll be sort of fun storylines. And, you know, a lot of people have been talking about this, and I feel like there's so much evidence for for great players of the past going to the finals time after time after time and losing. Like, I think someone said, like, Jerry West lost, like, eight finals, you know? Yeah. And I think there are just there are a lot of great players who lost a lot of finals. I think MJ is one of the few that didn't. Yeah, and, and he's, such he's a, the guy we kind of hold up as the... Yeah. I mean, even Kobe didn't. I don't know if Kobe... Did he ever lose a final? Do he win all his yeah. finals? Yeah. Yeah, he was on the Los Angeles Lakers when they lost to Detroit. Yeah, that's uh, right. And the Celtics too. I think he lost. Did he lose a game seven? Did he lose a series to the Celtics? Maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. But yeah, so we'll, we'll go um, to the fact checkers for that one. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think that you know, it's also again his performance stands up. You know, he lost in in the one way he could have lost and still gotten a lot more cred for it. You know. Yeah. Well, for me, I was a little conflicted in kind of where my rooting allegiance lied in this game because I'm from Ohio, but I, I'm not from Cleveland. And kind of a, we've always had where I'm from in Ohio, we've always kind of rooted against Cleveland teams. So mm-hmm. it's, I've kinda, I didn't have this very like, uh, strong tie to, to rooting for the Cavs to win. And frankly, it wouldn't be Cleveland if they won a title. It's, you know, it's the misery on the lake. It, it kinda, I, I kinda, there was part of me that didn't want to see them win just because that's that's who they are they're like the fucking lovable loser mets you know what i mean yeah and i think if they'd won this year it might have been a bit like too soon maybe i yeah. don't know and i like the idea that the, the warriors won i think that um next year i think the nba will maybe return to form a little bit more and you know the Cavs are going to be really great i'm sure next year Again, barring any major injuries, and I'm sure they'll retool with their players. I I already read somewhere that Jr. is going to opt out of his contract, so like, they're, they'll they'll retool and they'll be back in that position again. I'm sure next year. Do you think David Blatt should remain head coach? It's so fun. I was just thinking about that before. I feel like 
I feel like they could get rid of him and no one would really kind of scoff at it at this point. I mean, everybody knows that he was hired before <laughs> LeBron got there. And, you know, I do think that game five was really bizarre when they took Timothy Moskov out of the, you know, out of the game for so much. Like, that was a real boneheaded move. And he's made some other boneheaded moves. Like, the there Chicago was some... series when he called the timeout that they didn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, totally. So, like, I don't know. And, and I don't think he gets, like, you know, take what you can from the little bits of, like, you know, the mic'd up parts and stuff like that. But he doesn't, like, seem particularly inspiring or engaged with his players. Like, yeah, there was, uh, I think it was the halftime mic'd up that they showed where he's giving them this kind of, like, rousing rah-rah speech that uh-huh. is just, like, probably ripped from some bad movie. And yeah. J.R. Smith is just sitting, like, in the back of the frame, dejectedly shaking his head back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I, no, I just, I, I don't think that he connects to the players very much. I think LeBron, LeBron seems like, you know, he's got an interesting personality, but he does seem a little bit arrogant at times. And I, I can imagine that, like, he, he knows his position in the world, you know, and in the system and, and in the NBA and on his team. And I think that, like, I can't imagine he, he, he inspires people to give people like David Blatt much respect. Like, I think LeBron you know, lost all of his character this season. Like, not like just, just in sort of like a, like if you look at Andre Iguodala or Draymond Green, like these guys are just kind of like fun-loving, excited guys. And not that, you know, LeBron has the weight of the world on his shoulders, so he's not going to yeah. be that exactly. But the way that he's started talking about himself in, yeah. in the post-game stuff as sort of this savior leader figure, everything is on him, like all of the responsibility is on him. It just makes him like like a pain to kind of listen to and to watch. And you just kind of like want to tell him to like lighten up a little bit. And maybe that's because he just, I don't know, he needs some, some better teammates or something to kind of take the burden off of him because the dude seemed just really, I don't know, like monotonous all season. Yeah, I think it's an interesting, I don't know, I haven't been sort of, a fan of the NBA long enough, or maybe just media is around a lot more to like necessarily know what to compare it to. But he is he is acutely aware of his greatness, you know, um, and his position in the NBA. And I don't know. Sometimes you see that stuff and you think like he might be really out of touch. And then sometimes you think like maybe, you know, maybe that's the strategy. It's like you got a really scrappy team. You got a bunch of young guys around you. You need to kind of get excited to play with you and, and up for the series. And you want to make them believe they really are playing with, you know, the savior. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. who knows? He also has, like, what is it, uh, Chosen One tattooed on his back? So who the fuck knows? He's yeah. <laughs> got a real Christ complex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so what do you think about this idea that some people are perpetuating that Golden State's trophy should have an asterisk on it? Because of their, um, their 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 round, you know, their uh, their route to the finals through the Western Conference, and then you know, meeting a depleted Cavs team. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think that it should have an asterisk necessarily, but um, but I mean, you can't deny the fact that a lot of the competition in the West, like the the fact that the Spurs and the Clippers saw each other in the first round was like really amazing, and it's really too bad they didn't get to get a chance to go up against one of those teams. Um, and then the fact that, you know, the Clippers had to go, you know, get they lost to the Warriors. Like, I feel like they really didn't end up facing that second best or even the third best team. I mean, they, the had to, they had to beat the Rockets, though. Yeah, I mean, but... That's no, that's no small... I mean, the Rockets beat the Clippers. I don't know. I, I, it's, not, it's not that unimpressive to me, especially considering the fact that Memphis kind of, like, 
was the best eighth seed since that time that they were the eighth seed against the Spurs and knocked them off. Sure. Yeah. No. I don't. I think it's almost. It's more about what happened in the finals. I think. But there. I think it's sort of undeniable that they had an easier road through the West than they could have. And I feel like it is really disappointing from my perspective as a fan that like so many players were injured on the Cavs. And I, you know, I think that I think if I don't know if the Warriors would say this, but it's undeniable. Like the Cavs were not the Cavs. They were LeBron James and a bunch of random guys. Well, you know, know you know what's interesting, though? and I don't know if anyone has written about this or talked about this, but there's a part of me that thinks this is really true: is that um, Kyrie going down in the first game introduced Stella Vadova, right? Mm-hmm. And then at that point, Steph Curry's shots just start like he 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 can't put anything in almost for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had good stretches here and there, but I don't think Kyrie Irving was the guy that was going to stop Steph Curry. And I, and I think that him going, not, not, I mean, it ultimately wasn't good mm-hmm. and the Cavs needed him to be able to win these games, but it did kind of show that there was this other defensive option that the Cavs had. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, the flip side to it is that they would have had a ton more offense, you know what I mean? Um, with with Kyrie Irving and certainly with Kevin Love, but yeah, I think that the flow and the, the the dynamic of the games totally would have been different. But I think you just you can't deny the amount of talent that was that was lacking in that series, and the fact that like it just it would have been a totally different series. And it, it was really amazing to see what LeBron was able to do in the finals, and it makes you wonder like if it would have been. I mean, it almost I feel like don't you have to say like no doubt it would have gone seven, like it would yeah. have been yeah, an epic so. series, you know? Yeah. Um, but you, I think we'll get to see. You know, I, I don't. The Warriors, you know, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to make it back next year. And the Cavs, why not? You know what I mean? So maybe yeah. we'll see it again. You know. I agree. I think the only thing that needs an asterisk is the idea that Golden State has won four NBA championships <laughs> because they've won two. And the yeah. Philadelphia Warriors, which let's not let's not mince words here, it's not the same team as yeah. the Golden State Warriors. Although, to, to be fair, I did look this up, and as the San Francisco Warriors, they went to the finals uh, twice in the 60s where they lost to the Celtics and then the 76ers. So I, I understand this idea of putting four trophies on the T-shirt afterwards, but let's be real, it's kind of two, right? Yeah, and also, like, I don't know, maybe this is being flippant, but, like, who gives a shit about their four <laughs> trophies? You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> There are so many other franchises that have more, like four. Is that a significant number for a fran- I don't know. Like, I think that, uh, frankly, I thought the whole, like, 40-year drought for the Warriors was, like, even kind of a snooze fest of a story. Like, yeah, they were just trying to find something that matched Cleveland's misery. Yeah. And, and it, I, didn't, I, yeah. it didn't hold water for me either. Yeah, no, not, not at all. I think, you know, what was interesting for me is just a different team other than the Lakers, Spurs, you know, Heat or who's whoever that fourth team is that Celtics or whatever and uh and you know just the new, new faces young team you know Steve Kerr's the rookie coach like that stuff is all interesting to me uh not not the fact that they got four the fact that they had had a drought you know what I mean yeah I agree absolutely yeah uh, yeah well so what do you think do you think next year you think we see a repeat of this matchup do you think is Golden State going to have trouble getting back to the finals or or is this just all uh happy sailing from here I'm, you know, I'm interested to see what they do in the offseason. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, is is this David Lee's last year? Uh, he's got one more year left, but they, okay. they've basically alluded to him that they will try to help him get a trade to a good team where he can start. Yeah, so, I mean, if they do that, I mean, 
what do you it's like a 20 million dollar contract yeah, it frees up a lot of money yeah so i mean like that could be huge and i mean even if they just lost him you know what i mean and got some role players or some picks or something i feel like yeah i mean they're a super talented team i you know i real quickly if you look at the west like the clippers who knows what's going to happen there you know the spurs i feel like the big three are going to continue to decline and it you know it all depends on what they're able to do if manu retires or whatever the case may be i mean i feel like you know, Durant will come back, and, you know, who knows what happens with the Lakers. But, you know, I feel like I feel like they have an opportunity to, to make it back. You know what I mean? I mean, they're all young getting better. I mean, the fact that Clay Thompson, like, he's just getting better. You know, Curry's just going to keep getting better, you know? The only team as deep as the Warriors is the San Antonio Spurs in the West. And so yeah. if those teams can have a good offseason and just kind of keep the pieces they have or get younger in spots they need to get younger, get more athletic and spots that they need then i think that's what i'm projecting for the west Con- western conference finals next season is golden state san antonio and then yeah. yeah i think you're right i think i think the Cavs make it back especially if they get healthy they stay healthy kevin love resigns i don't see why not yeah no for sure and yeah i would love to see the spurs get to the western conference finals against them, especially if, and I'm assuming this would be contingent upon that, if Ky- if um, Kawhi Leonard really comes into his own. I feel like he was still pretty spotty, you know, this season. Like, but I would love to see like a dominant Kyrie Irving or uh, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I think that'd be a great series. I think that'd be so much fun. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, thank you for coming back for your third episode to talk about the NBA, and uh, we'll have you back when things kick back up uh, in the fall. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to The Big Game. If you haven't yet, subscribe on iTunes. Please leave a review if you like what you hear. Follow us on Twitter at BigGamePod and our website, BigGamePod.com, to catch up on all of our past episodes. And stay tuned for more next week here on The Big Game.